Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. I'm Kathy with a K. And I'm Kathy with a C. And this is Season 2 of Killer Destinations. This is an additional episode that we're dropping in response to breaking news that I'm sure many of you have heard about. Just this past Friday, on July 12th, 2023, Suffolk County, New York police announced the arrest of a suspect in a string of unsolved murders that happened at Gilgo Beach, which is located on the south shore of Long Island. 59-year-old Rex Hewerman was arrested for the murders of three women who disappeared in 2009 and 2010 and is suspected of killing as many as seven other people. He was remanded without bail and entered a plea of not guilty through his attorney. According to the Suffolk County District Attorney, Hewerman was taken into custody the night before and was indicted on one count of first-degree murder and one count of second-degree murder for the killing of Melissa Bartholomew in 2009 and Megan Waterman and Amber Costello in 2010. Hewerman is also the prime suspect in the 2007 disappearance and death of Maureen Brainerd Barnes. According to a court document, although Hewerman has not been charged for Maureen's murder, he is the prime suspect in her death, and authorities expect to charge him soon. By Saturday, Hewerman was identified as a registered architect who has owned a New York City-based architecture and consulting firm since 1994. He is married with a daughter and stepson and lives in the same house he grew up in, just a few miles from Gilgo Beach, where most of the remains were found. Let's go back to December 11, 2010, which is when the search for a killer began. There were a total of 10 remains discovered, and three of these women are the subject of the current prosecution. And of course, like Kathy said, it's expected that the fourth will be added soon. According to information on the Suffolk County Police Commission website, on December 11, 2010, Suffolk County Police Officer John Malia was searching Gilgo Beach on the south shore of Long Island with his canine partner, Blue. Officer Malia was there as part of a continued effort to find a missing sex worker named Shannon Gilbert, who had been missing approximately eight months. As it turned out, none of the remains were hers. Canine Blue located a set of remains that were eventually identified as belonging to 24-year-old Melissa Bartholomew, a sex worker who was last seen almost 18 months prior in July of 2009. According to an article in the Buffalo News by journalist T.J. Pignataro, written on January 28, 2011, Melissa grew up in Buffalo and after graduating from beauty school, she moved to New York City with the dream of one day opening her own salon. It was not until after she went missing that her mother found out that Melissa turned to sex work when she realized how expensive it was to live in New York. She was told it would be fast, easy money. Kath, what happened with Melissa is that she talked daily to her sister. And at some point, she stopped communicating and she stopped calling home. She was very communicative with her family. 
Her mother reported her missing and was told, you have to wait 48 hours. So call back in 48 hours and collect as much information as you can within that time. So Melissa's mom went to Melissa's sister and basically said, tell me everything you know. Melissa's mom couldn't get any information out of her daughter. She could tell that Melissa's sister was keeping a secret for her, but eventually she coughed up the fact that Melissa was exchanging sex for money, which shocked her mother. So when they called detectives back, they let them know these details. One of the things that was so awful, Kathy, about this case is that after they reported Melissa missing, Melissa's sister started getting telephone calls from Melissa's phone from a man saying horrible things about Melissa to her younger sister. Now, her younger sister at the time was only 16 years old. I couldn't believe that when I saw that. Can you imagine how excited she would have been to see her sister's name on this phone after such a long time? And then be confronted with this man saying very cruel things about her sister. I could not find any article that actually expressed the words that he used. That's probably a good thing. Honestly, it is. But I know that he was being derogatory toward Melissa. I believe this person made three phone calls in July during the month that Melissa went missing. And then all the way up to nearly the end of August in 2009, the phone calls continued. So I believe there were a total of six. Once Melissa's sister reported getting these phone calls, police began tracking Melissa's phone. Okay, Kath, another thing that was super interesting about Melissa is that her family was quoted as saying they don't believe in psychics, but they felt so desperate. So they consulted with a psychic who told them that Melissa was buried near water and there was a sign nearby with a G in it. Honestly, knowing what we know now, it's a little more... Right. Knowing what we know now, there's more weight to the prediction. Exactly. But at the time, especially buried near water and they're in Long Island, it's an island. It's surrounded by water. Two days later, the Suffolk County Police Department continued to search in proximity to where Melissa's remains were uncovered. On that day, police found three additional sets of human remains within one quarter mile of where they found Melissa's. These three additional sets were identified as those of 22-year-old Megan Waterman, 27-year-old Amber Costello, and 25-year-old Maureen Brainerd Barnes. Megan Waterman was from Scarborough, Maine, and had been missing for six months when her remains were found. According to Chow Lam and Emily C. Dooley with Newsday, Megan dropped out of high school and she was working in a deli when she met a boyfriend who convinced her to join the sex trade. She would regularly travel to Long Island from Maine to meet up with her customers in a specific motel. Now, Megan disappeared within a week of arriving. She had a three-year-old daughter, and she would actually call home to check on her little girl three times a day. Megan was last seen leaving the motel by herself at 1.30 in the morning on the day she disappeared, which was June 6, 2010. Kath, Megan's brother and her best friend went to Long Island to look for her, but they didn't have any money. So they actually pawned several items that were really important to them, including a diamond ring, a car audio system and gaming equipment to help pay for their trip to look for her. So, Kath, what I read was that this boyfriend, who was also her pimp and convinced her to get into the life, would often stay at his own house in Brooklyn while she was working. The day after she goes missing, he's trying to get in touch with her and can't get in touch with her and calls her grandmother and said, have you seen Megan? And grandma was like, no, I haven't seen her. So when her brother and best friend found out she was missing, like you said, they kicked into action. I would sell my jewelry for you just for the record. I would sell my car for you. Your jewelry is probably worth more. (laughs) (laughs) 
The third victim, Amber Costello, was from North Carolina and lived in a home in Long Island. She lived with another woman and two men. One was supposedly a friend and one was supposedly a boyfriend, both denied being her pimp. However, her boyfriend did admit to sharing in her funds. Amber struggled with heroin addiction and had recently completed a 28-day rehab before she moved to New York, where she relapsed. Amber advertised herself on Craigslist as a private dancer, and when she was meeting with a client, she had three rules. Clients had to come to her, pay her $200 an hour, and she only went as far as she wanted to. She actually entertained clients in her house and either her boyfriend or her friend were in the next room in case anything went down. Amber was last seen on September 2nd, 2010. And as she left her home, her last words were, if my sister calls, tell her I love her. When she went missing, Kath, her sister thought she was in a treatment program. Amber was actually not reported missing until after the Gilgo remains were found. According to journalist Michael Amon with Newsday, in an article dated June 12, 2011, Amber agreed to meet a guy in a parked car around the corner from her house. The reason she did so, which was obviously breaking her own rules, was because he agreed to pay her $450 for two hours or $1,500 if she spent the whole night with him. Kath, he made this offer on two conditions. Number one, she bring nothing with her, including a phone. And number two, she could not tell anybody where she was going. It makes me sad to hear that because you know that she has somebody who's pushing her to do this. You know she has rules for a reason, but the money made her go against her rules for safety. Yeah, well, she was in very deep heroin addiction. Oh, that's so right. You did she say was, that. She, was, she needed to feed her was, habit. Exactly. So one of the men she was living with said, you shouldn't do this. You should at least bring your phone so you can call me in case something happens. And she said, no, that's not what the customer wants. She wound up leaving her phone at home. But it was her roommate's phone, this man, who actually fielded the call from the John. So he was able to later give the police the phone number. Oh, that's good. Yeah. And Kath, Amber's younger sister was devastated when she submitted DNA and it came back as a hit for her sister. They held a funeral for her and her sister Kimberly was quoted as saying, Amber was very involved in church and had a lot of faith. She just fell short of her own beliefs. And in all the newspaper articles I read, that quote hit me and it had such an impact on me because that's all of us. Right. Every one of us could relate to that. Yes. The fourth victim, whose murder Hewerman has not been charged with but is expected to be soon, was Maureen Brainerd Barnes. She grew up in Groton, Connecticut, and had a young daughter and a young son with two different men. She was living in Norwich, Connecticut, and was introduced to sex work through a modeling job she got in Manhattan. On July 6, 2007, she traveled the two and a half hours from her home to New York City to make some money. She posted an ad on Craigslist, and Kath, you were talking about Amber's conditions. One of Maureen's conditions was that she would only work within the five boroughs and go to hotels that had security cameras in the lobby. Maureen went missing on July 9th, 2007. According to an article by Michael Amon in Newsday on June 12th, 2011, her family suspected she was dead when she missed her brother's funeral, which was two years after the family last spoke to her and one year prior to her remains being identified. 
As we mentioned, the women deviated from their normal routines on the nights they disappeared. In Melissa's case, she began posting ads on Craigslist without telling her pimp. Megan deviated by not telling her boyfriend slash pimp that she had another date that evening. She also had a rule of never getting into a customer's car. As we mentioned, Amber broke her own rule of never getting into a customer's car. And Kath, this was because she'd been beaten up before when she'd done it. Maureen deviated in two ways. One, she got in a car, which she didn't do. And two, she had a date outside of the five boroughs of New York City. Kath, why are so many dogs now suffering from health issues? Actress Katherine Heigl, who's helped save over 16,000 dogs through her foundation, said she's seeing more issues with joints, odors, and health than ever before. And after doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can look to improve any dog's health, their food. What she discovered is actually the way many dog foods are made can create toxins that could be wrecking our dog's health. And this is true even for many of the premium brands. Fortunately, she found that just by adding a few special superfoods to her dog's food, she saw a huge transformation in their health. She's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step how anyone can do the same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. And Kath, as you know, we have a schnauzer named Ollie. And even though my husband insists he is not, he is overly flatulent. (laughs) (laughs) After I started giving him this food, I swear there was a reduction in his smell. I love that. And I'll come over to your house now. (laughs) Exactly. Well, and you know, we have a Vishla we call Orange, and she's a senior dog. And over the last couple of weeks, she has actually had more energy to be running around the backyard with the younger dog, the Doberman we call Brown. Or crazy. A little bit. <laughs> so if you want to keep your dog healthy and happy, go to badlandsfood.com slash killer D and watch Catherine's video right now. Again, that's B-A-D-L-A-N-D-S-F-O-O-D dot com slash killer D. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. The cause of death of the four women was determined to be homicidal violence, and there was substantial evidence that the murders of all four women were related. In addition to other factors, the women were each placed in close proximity to one another, 22 to 33 feet from the edge of the parkway. All were petite females, approximately 22 to 27 years old. All four women also had contact shortly before their disappearances with a person using a burner phone. And two of the victims' cell phones were used by the killer after their deaths. Now, we talked about Melissa, but I saw it reported that Maureen's cell phone was also used. And Kath, I read and read and read a million articles, and I could not find anything explaining further about that. Yeah, I didn't see anything either. Yeah, we know the court records identify Melissa and Maureen as, you know... Being the two. Exactly. In addition, each of the four victims were found similarly positioned bound in a similar fashion by either belts or tape, with three of the victims found wrapped in a burlap-type material. Fast forward 10 years from the 2010 discovery of the remains along Gilgo Beach, 
In 2020, Suffolk County police released photos of evidence they believed were related to the Gilgo Beach murders that had not been made public before. It was a black leather belt with the letters WH or HM that police believed may have been handled by the suspect because it did not belong to any of the victims. Now, it's been reported that police received phone calls about the item, but I didn't see in any press conference or any writing whether there was substantive information that had been provided. In February 2022, Suffolk County Police Commissioner Rodney Harrington established a multi-agency task force that included the Suffolk County Police Department, the Suffolk County Sheriff's Department, the New York State Police, and the FBI. The hope was that the new task force could look at the murders with fresh eyes and new technology and bring the person or persons responsible for these crimes to justice. During a news conference the day of Hewerman's arrest, Suffolk County District Attorney Ray Tierney said Rex Hewerman was first considered to be a possible suspect in March 2022, just six weeks after the task force was put together. Which is incredible. Absolutely it was. A New York state investigator identified Hewerman in a database and investigators were able to use the power of the grand jury, which included more than 300 subpoenas and search warrants to collect evidence and tie Hewerman conclusively to the murders. Essentially, Kath, the case against Hewerman was built using cell phone data and credit card bills. From what we could tell by court documents, it looks like the sequence of events started with the fact that investigators were able to determine that Each victim had cell phones that connected to a burner. It was either the last call on their phone or one of the last calls on their phone before they disappeared. Each of the victims had a different burner number and police believed it was likely the owner of this burner was their killer. So, Kath, what I could glean from the records is that police basically issued search warrants for cell site towers and these burner phones. They wanted to see which cell phone towers were being pinged by these burner phones around the time of the calls that had been made to their cells. So investigators were able to narrow it down to two cell sites. One of them was in Midtown Manhattan. The other was on Long Island in a city called Massapequa. We were using court documents to understand how Hewerman was identified as a suspect. It's our understanding that once investigators knew the locations of the cell towers where the killer was using his different burner phones to call his victims, investigators took the next step. They needed to find every other cell phone number that pinged off these two same cell towers at the same dates and times as the killer. What I had taken from that is that they were hoping that the killer, while using a burner phone, had a personal or work phone on his person that would also be pinging off these same towers. Once they had a list of names attached to these cell numbers, the task force would try to further narrow down the list of possible suspects. Investigators took those names and started cross-referencing it with owners of a first-generation Chevy Avalanche. When Amber Costello went around the corner to meet this customer in his car, one of her neighbors actually saw the car drive by and he saw it was actually a truck and saw Amber in the passenger seat. This truck that the witness saw was a first generation Chevy Avalanche. Investigators took the names that they got from the cell towers and ran that information through the DMV to see if any of them happened to own a first generation Chevy Avalanche. One of them did. And they came up with the name Rex Hewerman. Once Rex Hewerman's name was identified, investigators did a deep dive. 
they issued search warrants to credit card companies, phone companies, internet providers, all this kind of stuff. And Kath, one of the things they found was a Tinder account. And they found it because he was paying for it with one of his credit cards. So they go into this Tinder account and they basically see that the account associated with Hewerman's credit card has a fake profile, fake email, and the contact phone number is a burner phone. It's a new burner phone. It's not a burner phone connected with one of the murder victims, but it's a burner. So they start looking at everything. They dig through his emails. They dig through this stuff. And what they find based on this email account is another email account. They wind up eventually finding three separate email accounts. They also find that he accessed the Tinder email account with his personal cell phone number. It absolutely cracks me up that he went to this kind of planning oh, yeah. to circumvent being tagged and then uses his own cell phone to go yep. to this email account. Thank you for connecting it. We yeah. appreciate that. And his cell phone was owned by his company. Through his personal cell phone history, they see he accessed this email and another email, I believe. The three email accounts that they find from him that are fictitious, like their fake profiles and whatnot, are all connected to burner phone numbers. And again, none of these burner phones are connected to the murder victims, but they are burner phones nonetheless. But, you know, one of the things he did that was super helpful is from the email associated with this Tinder account, he sent selfies to potential matches on this account that showed a picture of him. So he can't deny that he wasn't the one associated with that account. OK, I totally forgot about that. But now that you say that, the picture that he sent just popped into my brain uh -huh. and he looks like a nerdy accountant with a little bit of a beer belly, like might be wearing a pocket protector on the date. His photo that he sent looks so benign. It does. Investigators realize the interplay between Hewerman's personal cell phone and these fake email accounts. And according to court documents, when they analyze the usage of all the devices and the accounts held by Hewerman, there appeared to be a clear pattern where he was using burner phones and junk email addresses to, number one, contact sex workers and sex partners. Number two, to conduct extensive searches related to sex and prostitution, violent and sadistic child pornography. And number three, seek online information about the authorities investigating the Gilgo Beach murders. When the task force members searched Hewerman's computer, his internet searches were outlined, or some of them actually were outlined in the, what was it? The bail application. Thank you, the bail application. And it was totally disgusting. It's one of those times when I was really, really happy to have words redacted. Oh, totally. There are some things you can't unsee or unknow. What they did is they redacted, like Kathy said, some of the words. But the ones that weren't redacted were so bad as far as what he was searching that I was thinking, like, what the heck did they redact? Well, especially because of some of the words leading up to the redacted word. Oh, yeah. It was clear that he was seeking violent child pornography. Well, and honestly, most of the searches included like 10-year-old girl, 11-year-old yes. girl. It was gross. But doesn't that take you back to the fact that all of these women found to date were very petite? Very petite. They were like 4'11", 95 pounds. Yes, that was Melissa, 4'11", 95 pounds. Well, and you could argue that that could be a prepubescent girl. So disgusting. So yeah. they, they find all these searches and they also find searches on the names of the victims, the status of the investigation, the task force, all this kind of stuff. 
So now we have a name connected to subversive behavior and somebody who falls within the cell tower parameter during each of the murders. What do we have left? DNA evidence. During the initial examination of one of the victim's skeletal remains and materials discovered in the grave, the Suffolk County Crime Laboratory recovered a male hair from the bottom of the burlap the killer used to wrap her body. A total of three strands of female hair were found on two of the victims, either in the tape or the burlap used to wrap the bodies. Once Hewerman was identified as a suspect, task force members watched him and his family and got DNA samples from items that were thrown in the garbage. Specifically, Hewerman's DNA was retrieved from leftover crust in a pizza box that he threw in the trash. The male hair that had been discovered with one of the victims was a match to Hewerman using mitochondrial DNA, which is maternal side DNA. The three female hairs that were found on two of the victims were compared to DNA from 11 bottles taken from a garbage can outside of the Hewerman home, and it was consistent with Rex Hewerman's wife's DNA. And before you go thinking this is a husband and wife crime spree, police did their due diligence and were able to verify that Hewerman's wife and children were outside of the state at the times when these women were killed. That's our update so far. Searches of Rex Hewerman's residence is ongoing, and we will bring you information as it becomes available. Follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Killer Destinations Podcast, where we will either let you know in our post what's going on, or we'll let you know if we've uploaded a new episode update, or we'll update you on TikTok. Maybe. <laughs> Kathy with a C will update you on TikTok. <laughs> Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.